1: Maryland General
0: Assembly wrapped up its 2019 session April 8th
1: with some wins and some losses from the point of view of the Catholic Church. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and with us today on Catholic Baltimore are Jennifer Breeman, Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and Garrett O'Day, Associate Director. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Chris. Thanks for having us.
1: Hi, Chris. Thanks. It's been a busy 90 days for the session uh, that ended on a very somber note with the death of House Speaker Michael Bush with his desk draped in black bunting. The Speaker died April 7th. I want to talk about some specific legislation that passed or failed this session, but first let's talk a little bit about Michael Bush, who was a teacher and a coach at St. Mary's High before he entered public life. What's been the impact that he had as leader of the House and what happens now?
2: Sure, Chris. Well, yesterday was surely a a somber day here in Annapolis. Uh, Usually a day that's filled with parties and merriment to celebrate the end of a long 90-day session was uh, very subdued. There were many tributes given during the General Assembly, four sessions yesterday in Speaker Bush's honor. Late last night at 1130, both chambers went into a joint session um, to share memories and of Speaker Bush, um, to pay tribute to him, and to end the session in his memory. Um, it definitely, the day was overshadowed by the news of his death um, the previous day, But at the same time, people were celebrating the legacy he has left here, one of leadership, one of motivated advocacy on issues that he cared deeply about, including education and health care. He has definitely left a legacy uh, that will not soon be forgotten.
1: So let's get into some of the legislation that MCC focused on this year. One of the most important bills was physician-assisted suicide, which passed the House but failed in the Senate after some amendments. Why did the MCC and a coalition of organizations oppose this legislation and why did it fail?
2: Well this was the fourth time in the past five years that we've seen the introduction of a bill to legalize physician-assisted suicide I'd say that this year was probably the strongest effort that we've seen on behalf of the proponents of the bill to to pass the legislation. And yes, it was um, very dramatically fought this year. Uh, The bill has never been voted on before, um, but it got out of committee this year and actually passed the House of Delegates on a 74 to 66 vote, which you don't see very often. Uh, That's far from being a party line vote or a unanimous vote, which most bills fall into one of those two categories. Um, so it was a, a, a vote of only a, a four-vote margin would have shifted it the other way. After that, the, the bill headed to the Senate, and it died on a tie vote on the Senate floor, 23 to 23, with one senator um, not voting. This is the farthest, like I said, that the bill has ever come. The proponents are very organized, um, but perhaps our coalition was a bit more organized or, or worked a little smarter um, and got- convinced to convince people. And able know. to get convinced people, and by the grace of God, we were able to defeat the bill.
1: Supporters were really against any amendments to this bill, and those amendments were reasonable kinds of things like mental health screening for somebody Mm who tells their doctor Mm -hmm. they want to kill themselves. Mm
2: -hmm. What was that all about? What we've seen in in, in the states where this is legal, which there are only seven states where this physician-assisted suicide is legal. All of the bills have been exactly the same, and the proponents feel very strongly that the provisions of the law stay the same between every state that has legalized it. So when Maryland, especially in the Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee, worked very hard to amend the bill to address the concerns that they had in an attempt to fix the bill, although we know it is unfixable. Um, That required a lot of amendments, including, as you mentioned, mental health evaluation, as well as other legal and um, medically oriented um, amendments. And the proponents at that point said that they did not support the bill because it had so many amendments on it. Of course, the legislators saw those amendments as safeguards. Ultimately, the proponents and their pushback against those amendments led to the bill's demise. Mm-hmm.
1: You we're like watching a lot of educational things this year. Uh, what happened with BOOST funding? That's the scholarships for students from low-income families.
3: Sure, Chris, thanks. Thanks to the great advocacy on the part of our school leaders, parents, teachers, and others. Uh, the BOOST scholarship program uh, was passed and will provide approximately $7.5 million for non-public school scholarships uh, for next school year low-income students, many of whom, uh, probably the majority of whom, attend our Catholic schools.
1: And the deadline for applications for those people who want to take advantage of it is coming up soon?
3: Yeah, the deadline is coming up soon. It, it will be on April 17th, which is uh, next week. So uh, we encourage all eligible families to apply. I know our schools have really encouraged all their eligible families to apply as well. Every student who uh, applied and was certified as eligible received a scholarship last year. One other thing I'll mention, too, is there's a couple other priority uh, funding programs that we had advocated for this year for our Catholic schools as well. Uh, $6 million was provided for the non-public student textbook program, which is a cost savings for all of our Catholic school, most of our Catholic school parents um, for textbooks and technology. They uh, increased the allocation to $4 million for the Senator James Ed Grange uh, Non-Public Aging Schools Program, which provides infrastructure updates and, and renovations for our schools, uh, especially the older buildings. And the, We certainly have a lot of those. Sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then uh, additionally, our schools will be blessed to receive an additional $3.5 million for school safety initiatives through the Non-Public school Safety Grant Program. Too, That's as well.
1: great. There was a fetal homicide bill that would have honored Laura Wallen and her unborn son Reed, who were killed by Laura's fiance. I understand that passed in a modified form. What happened and why is this so important?
2: So originally the fetal homicide bill would have created a prosecutor's um, the ability to charge An attacker with a separate crime of violence against a pregnant woman. However, that bill was amended. But yesterday, with only about 30 minutes to go in the legislative session, the House and the Senate passed an amended version of Lauren Reed's law, which creates an additional felony with up to a 10 year sentence for a person who commits a crime of violence against a woman that they know or believe to be pregnant. Um, This is really a big step forward in acknowledging that pregnant women are also uh, often the the focus and the target of violent crimes, usually perpetrated by an intimate partner. Um, And it's a a big step forward in in combating that domestic abuse that often happens, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. when women are are pregnant. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think we saw the stats that Pregnant women are at a much higher risk of being assaulted, especially by an intimate partner.
2: Absolutely, and hopefully Lauren Reed's law will um, serve as a deterrent to those violent attacks. Mm-hmm.
1: Where do we end up on immigration issues? There were a couple of bills that the MCC was watching.
2: The General Assembly passed U-Visa legislation, uh, which clarifies and streamlines the state's role in um, an undocumented crime victim's application um, to become a lawful permanent um, citizen. Um, Like I said, the bill passed. It now heads to Governor Hogan's desk for his signature. We also saw expansion of the DREAM Act. The Maryland General Assembly sent a bill again to Governor Hogan, which would expand the existing DREAM Act, by allowing undocumented Maryland students to pay in-state tuition at Maryland colleges by removing a provision that's in the original DREAM Act um, that dictated they go to a community college first for two years. So those were um, big wins um, for immigration advocacy community. We were happy to see those pass with our involvement.
1: Mm -hmm. And I understand that you were following a lot of clean energy bills as well. Uh, definitely.
3: Uh, the most important of which was the Clean Energy Jobs Act, which was supported by the MCC, uh, requires the state to acquire 50% of its energy from renewable sources, such as wind or solar, by the year 2030. Uh, the bill was really a priority for environmental groups, uh, various faith-based coalitions, and other concerned citizens. It was uh, voted out of the Senate um, and then um kind of hung around in the house until the last minute revival yesterday uh, where it eventually passed uh, in the last few hours of the legislative session.
1: Great. Good news. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, after the break, we're going to talk more with Jennifer Bremen and Garrett O'Day from the Maryland Catholic Conference. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the Catholic Review. Cardinal Edwin F. O'Brien, Grand Master of the Equestrian Order of the Holy Sepulchre of Jerusalem and the former Archbishop of Baltimore, celebrated his 80th birthday April 8th, meaning he is no longer eligible to enter a conclave to elect a new pope. His ineligibility leaves the College of Cardinals with 121 members who are under 80 and could enter a conclave. 18 of the voters were made cardinals by St. John Paul II, 46 by Pope Benedict XVI, and 57 by Pope Francis. The United States has 15 cardinals, 9 of whom are under the age of 80. Only Italy, with 44 cardinals, 22 of whom are under 80, has both more cardinals and more cardinal electors. Cardinal O'Brien's birthday also marked the end of his membership on the Vatican Congregations for Eastern Churches, Saints' Causes, and Catholic Education. Cardinal O'Brien served as Archbishop of Baltimore from 2007 to 2012. In Rome, Pope Francis said everyone has a direct line to Jesus who is always nearby, ready to listen and help. Jesus likes to see the truth of our heart. Don't pretend in front of Jesus. With Jesus, always say what you are feeling, the Pope said during a visit April 7th to a Rome parish. Pope Francis met with young people, newlyweds, volunteers, the sick, the elderly, and other members of the parish of St. Julius in Rome before celebrating Mass in their newly restructured church, blessing and anointing the new altar. Before Mass, he took time to listen to and answer questions from parishioners, receive drawings and gifts, as well as celebrate the Sacrament of Reconciliation with three young people and a mother. The Pope said a young man had asked him if there was any truth to what his grandfather had told him that the Pope, as successor of Peter, has Peter's phone number and calls him. While the Pope said he didn't have St. Peter's number, we all have Jesus' mobile phone number and all of us can connect with Jesus, who always has good reception, always, the Pope said. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Christopher Gunty.
4: Do you want to know more about what's going on in the Church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV?
5: Visit us online at newcathedralsemetery.org. Like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray or call 410 566 7770.
0: You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM.
1: We're back on Catholic Baltimore talking with Jennifer Breeman, Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and Garrett O'Day, Associate Director about the just completed Maryland General Assembly session. Did the legislature make any progress on efforts to fight human trafficking?
2: This year was a great year in that that area, Chris. This session, the Maryland Catholic Conference became very active in the Maryland Human Trafficking Task Force Legislative Committee. Um, And through our involvement, we actually saw passage of three anti-trafficking bills. Um, The first bill made labor trafficking a crime in the state of Maryland, the second um, bill Created a statewide service network for child victims of sex trafficking, and the third is a, was a bill reorganizing how human trafficking is defined in statute. Huge wins in the human trafficking arena.
1: Why is this important to the
2: church and to the MCC? We've always been very involved in human trafficking issues. The dignity of life is an issue, obviously that, that permeates all of the bills for which we for which we advocate. Um, human trafficking is very much a um, dignity of life issue a issue that affects both children and adults and it's one that permeates unfortunately our communities especially given um, the geography of, of our state and it's one that the conference remains committed to um, because of that um, underlying desire to obviously um, value the dignity of all life
1: garrett one of the issues you were watching was the expansion of pre-kindergarten throughout the state what happened in that arena
3: Sure, Chris. Uh, the legislature uh, provided an increase for a fund for expanding full-day pre-kindergarten for Maryland four-year-olds to nearly $34 million. Uh, this kind of just represents a small down payment on a much larger goal of expanding pre-k access for Maryland four-year-olds. They also took the first step, first major step, in revamping Maryland school funding formula and uh, completing large substantive educational framework uh, overhaul Uh, within the state uh, as a result of the work done by the Kerwin Commission. So we're we're very pleased that they did include in that legislation that the state will be required to provide and expand access to high-quality full-day pre-kindergarten programs uh, for low-income three- and four-year-old families through a system of mixed delivery, which we hope will involve community providers and our Catholic schools.
1: That's great. Jennifer, there was a Concern about a proposal to put on the ballot in 2020, the question of an amendment that would enshrine abortion almost godlike in mm-hmm. the uh, the Maryland Constitution, did that make progress this year?
2: It did not. Speaker Michael Bush actually introduced that legislation early in the session. Um, it ultimately was withdrawn from consideration before it was even heard um, in committee. Um, he put the proposal forward, as you said, that would um, enshrine a woman's right to an abortion in the state constitution. Uh, Speaker Bush said that because Senate President Mike Miller indicated he would not be considering a constitutional amendment outside of an election year, it would not be brought up. However, also after it was introduced, we saw a groundswell of people speak up against um, the proposal um, from every corner of the state, um, we especially saw a outpouring of people in the Latino community, uh, the Latino Catholic community, speaking up very strongly against um, the proposal. So luckily, it was withdrawn before it was even considered. Um, so because of that strong opposition to it, hopefully we will not see that introduced again.
1: Mm-hmm. And you made the point before that Maryland already has some of the, the most liberal abortion laws. So- did we really need this? we do
2: unfortunately and and no we do not need this um, the the idea that any of those laws would be repealed or rolled back anytime soon is, is not likely given the late makeup of the legislature so this was a completely unnecessary um, proposal
1: mm-hmm were there a couple of child protection measures that have been sent to the governor, and what were those, and how did the church look
2: at all of these? Sure, a few pieces of legislation um, aimed at child protection that advocates have worked on uh, for many years actually were successful this year, and the Maryland Catholic Conference was proud to support those measures. Uh, the first is a measure by, that goes by the name of Sesame. Um, it's a level of background checks that is done in um, state schools. It's now in place in Pennsylvania. New Jersey, and what it does is it allows a prospective employer, um, in our case it would be our Catholic schools, to run a background check on um, possible um, new hires with their former employers on things that did not rise to the level of a formal investigation or a formal complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a way to check um, allegations that were brought forward on somebody um, in a in a previous job, and it would make us aware of of that situation. Um, It would be something that doesn't show up on a criminal background check or a Child Protective Services background check. It's just an extra layer of protection um, that our children throughout the state, because this this law will apply to public schools, private schools, religious-based schools, all schools will now have to comply with this extra layer of checking Mm -hmm. in protection of our students and their safety.
1: That already would go beyond the kind of background checks we're already doing yes, in our schools?
2: Yes. Our schools are already doing background checks above and beyond what we see in our state's public schools, but this would add another layer, like I said, and everybody is subject to this new law, um, and it's just another great safety net to make sure that the the folks that are entrusted to our children's care are the right folks um, and that they have no, no um, background that we're unaware of.
1: Mm-hmm. And if the governor signs that, when would that go into effect?
2: That would go into effect October 1st of this year. Okay.
1: All right. Let's talk a little bit about crime in Baltimore City. We know that's been a very uh, important concern for everyone here at the state level because of uh, how important Baltimore is to what's going on in the rest of the state. What kinds of activity happened in that area?
3: A couple of good things. Uh, Three point six million was provided in the budget for funding toward the Safe Streets program, which the church participates in. Catholic Charities mm-hmm. Baltimore participates in. Safe Streets is a tool that uh, communities can use to restore safety of their their streets and, and communities uh, and strengthen community bonds through mobilization and outreach.
1: And those are very much grassroots kind of program. Very
3: much so. Yes, right down to the the level of the particular community that they're in. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was done, um, which is interesting, is that the um, budget that was passed for fiscal year 2020, which starts July 1st, uh, restricts roughly about $14 million from various entities, including the city of Baltimore, the state's attorney's office, Baltimore Police Department, uh, Governor's Office of Crime Control and Prevention, to all work together uh, for the agencies to present the state with a joint comprehensive annual crime strategy for the city of Baltimore. So the report will be due in August, um, and I think that's a, a very good measure for them to, you know, get a comprehensive strategy together.
1: Yeah, that's going to be important. Probably can't solve all of them, but at least if we can make some progress there, that'd be helpful. I know the session just ended. Uh, we we're talking Tuesday afternoon. The session just ended last night. What do you foresee for the 2020 session, <laughs> or is it is it a little too far ahead?
2: Well, it is hard to see um, that far into the future for sure, but one thing that we can count on is that we will see um, a change, of course, in in House leadership given the passing of Speaker Bush just earlier this week. Um, the House will meet later this month um, to choose a new speaker. Um, that, of course, will have a domino effect when someone moves into that speaker position, likely a maybe a sitting committee chair right now that will move everyone around um, as far as new committee leadership. um, And also in November, uh, the Senate Democratic Caucus is meeting to talk about uh, the future of the Senate president position in the Senate. So in both chambers, we are likely to see new leadership in the 2020 session. um, And I think that will make um, the dynamic of the General Assembly very different.
1: And that means a lot of work for you just to Block away from the Capitol Dome.
2: A lot of work for us over the next nine months so that we are ready uh, for next January and all the issues headed our way for sure.
1: We've got just about a minute left. You touched on this a little bit, but what underlies everything the Maryland Catholic Conference looks at when a piece of legislation comes across your desk? What do you look for in terms of trying to decide a position?
2: Without a doubt, it is the value and the dignity of every human life, um, and of God's creation, um, that we experience, um, in, in the world around us, everything from poverty issues, the dignity of work that goes into with poverty issues, the environmental issues that we advocate on, of course, traditional life issues, if you will, um, abortion and end of life issues to education issues and making sure that every child, um, has the, the quality education that they deserve everything life and the dignity of life touches everything that we do. Um, and if, if, issue comes up and we're not sure you know where we are on an issue or if we're advocating for it after consulting of course with with the bishops it is it comes back to the dignity of life and upholding that dignity of life through political advocacy. Um, there's not any issue that we advocate for that falls outside of those boundaries. Um, And it keeps us committed and um, striving to do better and more every year. Um, And
1: some of those are red issues and some of those are blue issues, right? Yes.
2: Like we say, we're very purple. I mean, obviously we get very involved in immigration issues, which are often seen as left of center issues. um, And we will get involved in abortion issues that are, of course, right of center and and everywhere in between, if you will. And that allows us to have friends on on both sides of the aisle um, and helps as advocate across the board for all of the issues that we, we care about.
1: Great, thank you. We've been talking today with Jennifer Bremen, Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference, and Garrett O'Day, Associate Director, about the just completed Maryland General Assembly session. Now that the session's over, you may be able to get a few days rest, right? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, in any case, thanks for being with us today.
2: Thank you, Chris.
1: This is Christopher Gunn Chris. here to Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore.
6: Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org, or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you?
1: Next Sunday, April 21st, is Easter. Due to an extended radio mass, there will be no episode of Catholic Baltimore. We hope you'll tune in April 28th on Divine Mercy Sunday to hear Father Brian Nolan's interview about the mercy of God. Thanks for listening to
0: Catholic Baltimore. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore.